Let's turn to the book of 2 Chronicles this morning, the book of 2 Chronicles. The book of 2 Chronicles this morning, chapter number 16. Are you there yet? 2 Chronicles chapter number 16 this morning. Began reading with verse number 1. The Bible says that in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the Lord and of the houses and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that, we will, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa, and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ajon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now when Basha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Note that the acts of Asa first and last are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David, They laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. This morning I want to talk to you a few moments about the fall of Asa. The fall of Asa. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord today. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that... uh, Father, that uh, your word is awesome and incredible, and we can glean and learn so much from it. And God, I pray that's exactly what will happen today as we learn from this man named Asa. 
Lord, let your anointing be strong upon the man of God today. Give us ears to hear the word, and may we make application of the word that we receive today. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. King Asa began well, but he didn't end well. He did a lot of good things in his life. He did a lot better than most of the kings. And yet he faltered at the end. And friend, it's not enough to start out well, is it? It's not enough that we start out well. It's not enough that we do pretty well and do some good things along the way. But it's how we finish our race that's most important. I want us to look at this passage of scripture this morning that we read and see what we can glean from it today. There are six things that I want to call your attention to concerning this story this morning. The first thing I want us to notice this morning is I want us to notice the adversity. Notice the adversity, verse number one, again, in the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Because King Basha, king of the ten tribes of Israel, because uh, he had led Israel into, idro- into idolatry, because he had led Israel into worshiping false gods. And because that he did not want uh, his people going to Jerusalem and worshiping the true and the living God because of this, King Basha built Ramah to stop his people from coming and going, stop his people from leaving his country and going into Judah. And so he built Ramah, a a, a hill or a a mountain that was well guarded and, and they wouldn't allow anyone to come through and no one to leave or no one to come. Friend, this lets me know that Satan will go to great lengths to hinder us from worshiping our God. He will try anything and everything within his power to build walls between us and between God. He'll do everything that he possibly can to build walls of separation between us and God. And adversity is one of the methods that the the devil uses in order to try and stop us from worshiping and stop us from loving and stop us from depending upon our God. You see, friend, adversity will either make you bitter or it will make you better. Adversity, it will either turn you towards God or it will turn you away from God. And nobody is exempt from adversity. Job chapter 14 and verse 1 tells us that man is full of days and full of trouble. And so we all have our adversity, we all have our problems, we all have our difficulties, difficult things happen in all of our lives. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 says, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through. And don't let that cause to be a surprise to you. Just understand that there's going to be fiery trials. Understand there's going to be adversity. Understand there's going to be difficulties and problems along the way. Don't be surprised, Peter said, about the fiery trial that you're going through. As if some stranger out of the ordinary thing happened to you. You see, Satan will see to it that we have more than our share of adversity. Oh, he'll send sickness and he'll send calamity and he'll send difficulty. Oh, he'll rain upon our parade quite often. We just need to understand and know that it's going to happen. He's going to use adversity and his hope is that he can stop us. He can build a wall of separation and separate us and keep us from our God. The second thing that I, I see in this little account 
is the arrogance. Notice the arrogance in verse number 2. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house. And he sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. Asa takes matters into his own hands. He takes money from the treasury of the Lord and he uses the, uh, the money from the house of God. He uses the money that is the Lord's money and he uses the Lord's money and tries to fix his own problem. Well, I could get in a lot of trouble right here. I'll just get in a little trouble this morning. And how often have I seen this? How often have I seen this time and time again? I have, I have witnessed people take God's money, take money that, that belongs to God and use it for their own purpose and use it for their own use. Why is it this morning that when people have a financial problem, the first thing they do is take God's money? That's the first thing they do is take God's money. That which is holy, that which is sanctified, that which is set apart for the work of the Lord. But they take God's money and use it to solve their own personal problem. Reminds me of a little boy on his way to Sunday school. His mama gave him two quarters. And his mama said to him, son, here's two quarters and one quarter is for God. One quarter is for the offering and one quarter is for you to put in the candy machine. And the little boy was walking along with the two quarters in his hands and playing with the quarters and and one of the quarters fell out of his hand and, and it rolled away and it ran down into a drain and it was lost. And the little boy looked down at the one quarter that he had in his hand and he said, Oh no, Jesus, there with your quarter. If I get you to laugh, you won't throw rocks at me this morning. (laughs) How will King Asa solve his problem? Oh, he takes matters into his own hands. I can solve the problem, he says to himself. And then he takes money from the Lord's treasury and he uses it to bribe a pagan king. What arrogance. What arrogance, how arrogant, and yet, friend, how arrogant are we when we take matters into our own hands and try and solve our own problems? And how arrogant are we to think that we can take the money, amen, that belongs to God, the money that is holy, the money that is separated, the money that is dedicated for the work of the Lord. How arrogant are we to take that money and use it upon ourselves? Moving right along this morning. At least that was at the first part of the message. <laughs> the third thing I see in this story this morning is the alliance. Notice the alliance, verses 3 through 5. He says, let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad indeed, uh, so in, so Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ajon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storied cities of Naphtali. And it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. 
Asa bribes King Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, because of the bribe, will break his treaty with King Basha. And he will turn on him and will attack him and drive him back so that nothing will prohibit the Israelites from coming to Judah and worship. Here's the problem. Ben-Hadad was a heathen king. Asa joins hands with a heathen king. Let me ask you this morning, why do we use the methods of the world instead of the methods of God? Ben-Hadad accepts Asa's bribe. Of course he does. Sure he does. That's what the world does. That's what the world does. That's how they act. The world's method is to sell out to the highest bidder. The world doesn't have any morals. The world doesn't have any integrity. The world doesn't have any character. What about us? Do we have any morals? Are we any different from the world? Are we for sale? Is there any difference between us and the world? Is there any difference in the way we do business and the way that the world does business? What do you do when you are called upon to compromise your convictions? Does the end result justify the means? Is profit the bottom line for you? Or do you have some integrity? Do you have some character about you? Friend, have you made an alliance with the world? Have you sold out? Do you use God's methods? Are you like the world? And you use the methods of the world. The fourth thing that I see in this story is the admonishment found in verses 7 through 9. At that time, Hanani, the seer or the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and you have not relied on the Lord your God, Therefore, the army of the, of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And he asked him the question, Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have... God sends the prophet Hanini to deliver a message to King Asa concerning what he has just done. There's three things I want to call your attention to concerning this admonishment. I want us to notice, first of all, the rebuke. The rebuke, verse number 7, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God. Hanani, the prophet, has a rebuke to bring to King Asa for taking matters into his own hands, for joining forces with a heathen king instead of calling upon God. God was literally saying through this prophet, he was saying, Asa, you have more confidence in man than you have in God. But are we any better? 
What do we do oh, when our world starts falling apart around us? Is God the first one that we call out to? Is God the first one that we run to? Is God the first one that we cry out to? Or is He the last? Too many people only turn to God as a last resort. When they've tried this one and that one and someone else, when they've tried this, that and something else, only as a last resort do they finally turn to God. Another thing I'd like us to notice in this admonishment, number two, was the reminder. And in verses 8 and 9, the prophet reminds Asa of the past. He brings him back to the past and reminds him of the past. When Asa cried out to God in times of trouble in the past, before, in years gone by, when he got into trouble, when he needed help, when he needed God, he would cry out to God. He would not go to man. He would not go to a heathen king. He would not make an alliance with the world. But in times past, he, when he had a problem or a need, he would cry out to God and bring his need to God. And the prophet reminds Asa of how God was there for him and how God rescued him. Oh, friend, how quickly, how quickly we forget our past blessings. Oh, how quick we forget about how good that God has been to us in time past. Reminds me of the story of the man that decided he's going to backslide. He was discouraged. He was distraught. And he decided it just doesn't pay to serve God. It's just not worth it to serve God. I'm just, I'm just going to go back out into the world. I'm just going to walk away from God. I'm just going to backslide. But then he thought to himself and said, you know, I've been serving God for a long, long time. I don't think it would be quite right just to walk out on God. I think I'll have one more talk with God. I think before I uh, turn my back and walk away from God, I, I think I'm going to, before I backslide, I'm going to tell God. I'm going I'm to tell God goodbye. And so he got in his prayer closet and he began to talk to God. And he began to tell God, he said, God, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm distraught, I'm, I'm in a tough situation here, things aren't going well, and just, just doesn't seem like it's worth it. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm leaving. I'm walking out. He said, I didn't think it would be right because I've been walking with you for a long, long time. It wouldn't be right just to walk out on you. I thought I'd have one more visit with you and talk with you one more time. And he said, now that we're talking, God, he said, I kind of remember 25 years ago now when I come to know you. God, I was a mess. I was strung out on drugs and I'd lost my family and I'd lost my home. I'd lost my money. I'd lost my job. I, I was down to the bottom and thinking maybe I'd even take my life, but somebody introduced me to you, God. And <laughs> I'm just now remembering the day I got saved. And, mm. oh, yeah, God, I remember. <laughs> I remember that day, greatest day of my life, God, when I, when I got saved. I can remember the load that was lifted from off of my shoulders and all the peace that I had never had in my life that just came all over me that day. Oh, oh, I remember calling, calling my wife. We were separated and I called my wife and I said, I know that I don't have any right. I, I, I don't have any right, but please, would you just hear me out? I just got to tell you something has happened to me. I'm a changed man. And God, she was willing to listen to me and she heard, she heard what I had to say and she, she felt my heart. And, and God, because of you, my, my family was restored. <laughs> 
My wife came back to me, God, and there was no way she was coming back. Well, God, while we're on this trail, maybe I... Hmm, oh, oh, yeah, and then you brought my job back to me, God. I remember that. And, and sometime later, when our little, our little daughter, our little girl was sick, and she was in the, in, in the hospital in, in intensive care, and the doctor said there was, there was very little hope that she was ever going to pull through, that she wasn't going to make it. And we were facing the reality of living the rest of our lives without our little girl, but... But God, we prayed and we cried out to you and, and we asked you to help us and we asked you to heal our little girl. And, and what the doctors couldn't do for us, God, you did. You worked a miracle in our little girl. How she lived and she's alive today. You know what, God, I just made up my mind. I just changed my mind. I'm not going to backslide after all. Ah. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, verse 2 through 5, Oh, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. Oh, He forgives all of my sin and He heals all of my disease and He redeems me from death and He crowns me with love and tender mercy and He fills my life with good things. Every once in a while we just need to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Amen. And what God has done for us in the past. prophet admonishes King Asa. Number three, third part of the admonishment is the result. Found in verse number nine. In this you have done foolishly, therefore, or as a result, from now on, you're going to have wars. King Asa and the country of Judah had been at peace for approximately 35 years. For 35 years, Asa had relied on God. For 35 years, Asa had served God. For 35 years, Asa had promoted the true and the living God among his people. And as a result, God had blessed them with 35 years of peace. But in his latter years... Asa started relying upon himself and even began to make alliance with unbelievers. And as a result, he loses the favor of God that is upon his life. God lifts his hand of protection from off of King Asa. And as a result, war came where there once was peace. My question to us today is, how is it with us? Are we battling in areas today where we once had peace? How there was a time when we once had peace in this certain area. But today there's a war. Today there's a battle that is going on in this area of our life that we one time enjoyed peace in. I want to encourage you today, simply look around. Look around you this morning. It pays to serve God. It pays to serve God. People who wholeheartedly serve God with their whole heart and with everything they have within them. People who are genuinely, truly lovers of God are blessed people. Let me tell you this morning, I don't have even one ounce of envy towards the unbeliever. This world holds no fascination for me. Satan doesn't have one single thing that I'm jealous of this morning. Because I've looked around and I've observed. And I've seen the end result of the products the devil peddles. I've seen what alcohol and drugs can do. 
I've seen marriages ripped apart because of an affair or because of pornography. I've witnessed the devastating results of gambling. I've seen the before and after pictures. I've known people that at one time were serving God. Oh, and then for whatever reason made an about face and began to serve the devil. Friend, their lives were certainly better when they were serving God than after they walked away from Him. I'm not, I'm not saying that Christian... That the Christian life is without its trials and its hardships and its heartaches. What I am saying that it pays. It pays to serve God. Amen. And it will cost you to walk away. The fifth thing that I see in this, this little account is found in verse number 10. And, and it's the agitation. The agitation found in verse number 10. The prophet Hanani has just given his rebuke. And verse 10 says that Asa was angry with the seer. He was angry. He was mad at the preacher. I'm in good company. Asa was angry with the prophet, and he put him in prison, for he was enraged at him. And Asa oppressed some of the people. Man, Asa's arrogance has kicked into high gear by now. He's angry with the man of God. He's angry with the prophet. He's mad at the preacher. How dare he talk to me like this? Who does he think he is to talk to me like this? Doesn't he understand who I am? Doesn't he know I'm the king? Let me tell you something, friend. God's not impressed with your title or your position. He's not impressed with how important that you think you are. And friend, how often do we reject the message that God is trying to get to us through His messengers? As sweet as I am, as sweet as I am, I've had people get mad at me. I've had people walk out I've had people leave the church because of something that I preached. I'm again in good company. Paul asked the Galatians in Galatians 5, or excuse me, Galatians 4 and 16. He said, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Paul said, am I your enemy? Just for telling you the truth. Friend, I, I have never, ever, ever prepared a sermon with the thought in mind, how can I tick somebody off today? <laughs> Let's see, how can I tick somebody off today? I will tell you that I have prepared messages before when I knew he was going to tick somebody off. 
And when you're at a church long enough, you know who those folks are. And no, you don't design a sermon to tick somebody off or anger somebody or make somebody mad. I mean, I mean I'm a human just like everybody else. I, I want everybody to like me. Sure I do. I'm no different than you are. I want to be liked. I want people to like me. I mean, I don't like it when people are angry with me. I don't like it when people storm out. I don't like it when people say unkind things to me. I'm trying to grow a church, not shrink a church. And yet, my friend, I have a responsibility as shepherd and pastor and overseer of this congregation. I have to love my sheep enough to be willing to tell them the truth and warn them of danger, even at the cost of losing some of them or getting somebody angry with me. You see, I've got somebody else to answer to. I... I don't say this arrogantly this morning, but I don't answer to you. I don't answer to you this morning, but I do answer to God. And as a man of God, I'm going to be held to a much higher standard than you will be. And friend, when I, and friend, when I stand before the judgment seat of God, oh, I want to stand there with a clear conscience. I don't want Him to say to me, why didn't you tell those people the truth? Why were you always pussyfooting around skirting the issue and being politically correct? Why did you, I don't want him to say, why did you sugarcoat everything? I don't want him to say to me, people are in hell today because you were more concerned about being popular than you were about presenting the truth. You were more concerned about getting a big crowd than you were about getting people to heaven. I don't want God to say that to me, my friend. God was trying to get a message across to King Asa. Friend, what, what, what do you think might have happened if instead of bowing up and getting mad, what if Asa would have repented and humbled himself? Perhaps God would have relented and withheld judgment. Peace was replaced with war because of his actions. And yet perhaps God would have withdrawn this curse if Asa had repented to the prophet with repentance. If he would have repented and humbled himself in the sight of the man of God. That's what happened when Nineveh responded correctly to the prophet Jonah's message. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 2, verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that He said that He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Things could have changed and turned out totally different for Asa than they did. And friend, when will we ever learn? When will we ever learn God only wants the best for us? And when He shines a spotlight, a spotlight on some area of our life that He's displeased or disappointed with. Uh, oh, when the Holy Spirit gouges us, when the Holy Spirit convicts us uh, about something in our life, He does it for our benefit. He does it because He loves us. He does it because He's trying to help us. And yet too often we bow up like Asa did and we want to shoot the messenger. Tar and feather the preacher and run him out of town. Who does he think he is to tell us something like that? 
And we get angry in our spirit and we bow up and we, we reject the message the man of God has been sent to us to deliver. Things could have turned out a lot better for King Asa if he had only accepted the word from the Lord that the prophet had been sent to give him. In the church I pastored in Elk City, Oklahoma many years ago, I had a, had a lady in that church who possessed perhaps the sweetest spirit of anyone I have ever met or ever known in my entire life. Her name was Catherine. And I'll never forget, she said a lot of things. Every time her mouth opened, wisdom fell out. But I'll never forget one thing that she always loved to say. She would say, when I go to church, she said, I always carry a rake and not a shovel. She said, I carry a rake with me because when my pastor is preaching, I want to rake in everything that he has to say. I don't carry a shovel to toss it back over my shoulder to someone else. Friend, it's arrogance when we sit in church And we say to ourselves, I wonder who this is for. (laughs) If you are wondering, it's probably for you. Amen? One last point this morning. Number six I find in this story is the affliction. The affliction, verses 12 and 13. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers, died in the 41st year of his reign. Friend, I'm I'm not going to, well, I'm I'm just going to let you decide whether or not this affliction was punishment from God for his actions. I'm just going to leave that with you. Let you determine that yourself. What is very, very clear here is Asa still hasn't learned anything. Verse 12, yet in his disease, when he became diseased, when he became afflicted, he did not seek the Lord. Instead, he sought the physicians. You'd think that after his admonishment from the prophet Hanani, how in the result of his misplaced trust, where he made an alliance with an ungodly king and bribed him instead of calling upon, upon God, and as a result God replaced this, his peace with war, you would think that he would have learned his lesson and you would think that the next crisis time he would have called out to God, but no... No, when he is afflicted with disease, he turns once again to man instead of to God. 
In his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Could we get the worship people back in place this morning? How about us this morning? How about us today? Have we learned our lesson? Will we be arrogant and take matters into our own hands? Friend, it is arrogance when we take matters into our own hands. Will we make an alliance with the world? Will we become angry and agitated at the admonishment we receive from the man of God? Or will we respond with humility and repentance? Could I get four prayer altar workers in place this morning? Four altar workers within the parameters that I've asked, please. The first four, very quickly. Come on, move, move, move. Two, three, one more. Jennifer. Friend, we can learn much from King Asa. He began well. He did some good things. He was one of the better kings. But he didn't end well. How sad. How sad, my friend, is it to start out well and do well for a while and do some good things along the way, but at the end to blow it, to drop the ball, to mess up. Maybe that's you this morning. You started out gangbusters. You started out on fire for God. Oh, you were so, so passionate about your God. And God did so many incredible things in your life. And you did good for a while. And, and you do good off and on and off and on. But, but if your life were to end today, you couldn't really say you ended Well, friend, you cannot go back and start all over. But you can begin from right here today. You cannot have a new beginning, but you can change the ending today. 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 Every head bowed, every eye closed, and nobody looking pleased. Those on the platform have their heads bowed, their eyes closed as well. It's just between you and God today. This is a private matter. Of all this morning, if you're not 100% sure of your salvation, if you were to die in the next five minutes, you're not 100% sure that you'd go to heaven. You want to change that today. You want to make 100% for sure, for certain, that you're saved and ready to meet your God. If I've described you today, you're not sure, but you want to be sure. Lift your hand this morning, lift it high. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to call you the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you do anything on your own this morning, but I'm going to help you this morning get things right and get you ready to meet God. Anyone in this room this morning, I'm not 100% sure of my salvation. I want that assurance today. All right, no one is looking about still this morning. I wonder how many in this room this morning would say, Pastor, I... 
wow, I don't think I'm quite as passionate about God as I one time was. I, I started out really, really well, and I've done some good things along the way, but wow, if I were to die right now, it wouldn't be the greatest ending. I want to change that today. I want to draw the line in the sand. I want to change that today. I can't go back and get a new beginning, but I can start from right here, and I can change the ending. I want to finish strong in my life. If I finished right now, I wouldn't finish strong, but I'm going to change that today. I'm going to make some changes in my life so that I can finish strong. If I've described you, can I see your hand all over this room this morning, please? All over this room. Thank you, sir. God bless you. How many others this morning? How many others today? Wow, we've got a lot of really uh, sold-out, radical, committed Christians here today, evidently, and that's great. I want everyone to stand this morning. Amen. Pastor Braden is going to lead us in a chorus this morning while he does this morning. I'm opening the altars today. If you need someone to pray.